Hello everyone, welcome to From Nowhere to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology, and with me is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. Many of the themes we address in this show revolve around a few basic things. What the internal experience of a person is, what the external reality of the universe is, and how we attempt to bridge our understanding of the two through language. Today's topic will push me and Norm to our limits in each category. While there are no easy topics in philosophy, trying to conceptualize what awareness means for humanity and life as a whole is a profoundly difficult task. <laughs> yeah, let's push our limits. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I have like four questions for this episode, and I don't even know if we'll get through them all. <laughs> Some of them are, are, are pretty deep. All right. So, um, we'll, we'll start out with what is awareness? Yeah. All right. We're both going to tackle this definition. So, etymologically, to be aware is rather passively to have knowledge to have perception. Uh, I wanted to contrast that with beware, right. which is more actively expecting hmm. trouble or expecting intrusion or whatever it happens to be. So to, to, to be concerned, to be aware, the, the, the old version of it, uh, just where, uh, being where is, being open to knowledge. Hmm. Uh, uh, to be aware is to have knowledge. To beware is not just about danger, but as as I read it etymologically, it, it, it became that danger-oriented thing, but it, it, it seems to me that there's possibilities to look at it as being actively looking hmm. for knowledge interesting okay so here's where the hard work begins um and awareness as a a concept in language is pretty um malleable uh people use it in a variety of contexts so are what the the definition we come to may not be right but we're going to try to come to some kind of definition in order to have a coherent conversation Absolutely. about it. So yep. Yep. I think where we need to start with that is contrasting. How is awareness different from consciousness or perception? Hmm. There's an integrative function to me. And I want to hear what you think about this too. There's an integrative function in consciousness so there's an awareness but there's an awareness that is built upon whether one wants to say tethers or bridges or overlapping constructs integrated and working together so it's not just a single experience that is un in no context it's knowledge arising out of overlapping contexts and structures hmm. okay yeah i was kind of thinking along the same lines you know i think perception is sensory 
Mm-hmm. So you can define perception with your five senses. You can see something or you can smell it or <clears throat> touch it, whatever, whatever you, you do. Yeah. Awareness and consciousness are a little bit more complicated. Um, but I think that, you know, awareness, um, I think, you know, depending on how you're looking at them, you could define consciousness as being a physical attribute and awareness as yeah. a cognitive attribute. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, oh, is somebody awake or are they sleeping? Well, that would determine whether or not they're conscious. It would also determine whether or not they're aware. Mm-hmm. But um, somebody can be conscious and not aware, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I'll give an example. And someday when I'm long gone, if, if uh, my granddaughter hears this, <laughs> I hope she'll chuckle. <laughs> was playing hide-and-seek recently, the whole family, because oh, there was a lot of enjoyment of that going on with her. And and I was hiding behind a door, and my uh, second-born <laughs> was leading her niece over, their niece around, and and there I was behind the door. The, the two-year-old came up, looked out the window, which is right next to the door, <laughs> and then looked away another direction and then looked and saw my knee and then my uh, daughter said Do you, where's grandpa not here no not here mm-hmm. where grandpa <laughs> gone and that was so funny uh, <laughs> Max started laughing but it and it's and then we came the, the whole cycle happened again and still didn't see me and this is an aware little person in in many ways so so, popping alive and the third time looked followed the leg up and saw me so was conscious certainly was very actively conscious was aware of some things like what was going outside the window and what was going on in the next room and yet not of something that's right there and I think we can be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and your granddaughter's at the um, the point in her life where, in psychology, she's experiencing um, that sort of perceptual shift to object permanence, right? Mm-hmm. So, if you have something and you put it behind a door, it sort of ceases to exist. Mm-hmm. Or if you partially cover something, her brain can't quite integrate it into a whole thing. So, a, a disembodied knee does not correlate with grandpa right Mm -hmm. so yeah that's a really good example and i think that it brings up a little bit more complexity to these descriptions that we're trying to define because i think that what we are going to have to do is delineate being conscious from consciousness Mm -hmm. in a way Mm -hmm. so if we go back and say perception is sensory and that being conscious is physical and being aware is cognitive, then I think consciousness is sort of the integration of conscious, being conscious and being aware. Yes, I think so. So that seems a little convoluted, but I'm not sure if there's a more efficacious way of doing it. I don't think that conscious, being conscious and consciousness are the same. No, they're they're, they're not synonymous. No, they're, they're related. 
right. not synonymous. Okay. So hopefully listeners can sort of follow that line of reasoning because I think as we start exploring some of some of these deeper questions about it, it's going to become important. Because awareness is also uh, beware. Uh, also, this is what gave me my lead, my chance to do my own interpretation to some extent. It, beware is to it, it involves to perceive. Hmm. Sometimes we don't perceive what is very much right there in front of us. Right. And not just for little ones. Yeah, yeah. So what what sort of governs awareness then, if we're looking <laughs> at it? So we have perception. We have the ability to perceive things. And we are conscious. We're not sleeping. Um, and our consciousness is going to integrate all of this information. So what... What determines whether or not we're aware of something? Speed of pace of a particular moment. (laughs) Now we're getting into the time-space thing. Wherein one is perhaps so focused on some things, one entirely misses something that ought not to be. I'm, I'm I'm a stumbling ordinary guy. I was getting ready to go outside to uh, take, it was a family, uh, take a walk. And I was so eager to get out there that I sat down in the chair that I have on my enclosed porch to put on my boots. And I sat down, sat back, and promptly wanged my head against uh, an open interior window that, that opens onto that porch. Now, it was there. I'm a reasonably intelligent person. I could have, but I was concentrating on the boots. Got to get outside. Didn't think about that thing ready to whack me, uh, or rather that I (laughs) I whacked. It didn't do that itself. And so I I think that that's, uh, these ordinary experiences, I think, are going to help us sort this out. Yeah, because... um I think each person sort of has their own struggle, and this kind of is determined by your your neural pathways, right? Mm. The big joke in my house is my wife makes fun of me because I can't look for anything. <laughs> like, I'm a very observant person. Yeah. Like, I'll notice things um, very quickly, very easily, and especially things that escape other people's attention. Mm-hmm. But if she asks me to actively look for something, I'll never find it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can you grab the mustard out of the fridge? It'll be the only thing on the shelf. I'll be like, ah, I don't know where it is. You know. <laughs> yes, my life partner calls that refrigerator blindness. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know what? What's going on there? That you know something that would appears to be camouflaged against the surrounding environment can be picked out, but something that's actively being sought can be overlooked. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Well, the we're answer, trying but- too hard. Yeah, you know what's you know, going on. I wonder, or or, or not scared. because yes, obviously you you observe a lot. It's part of your work. It's part of your training. So we're not we're not saying people are uh, we're, we're all goofy, but we're not saying that <laughs> that we lack intelligence when we miss or misperceive or or fail to perceive. <laughs> and this is a big part of um, education, right? You know, I, you know, I think that people. Yeah. Um, they see people with uh, educational, you know, learning disabilities and that sort of thing, and people get a stigma for them. Um, yeah. But really, there's mounting evidence that a lot of 
um, the ways people learn aren't at all correlated with how intelligent they are, you know, and I'm one of those people. I always, uh, you know, at work, you know, I'm in charge of the whole plant, you know, and, um, I always like telling new people, you know, hey, listen, there's a bunch of different types of jobs that require a bunch of different types of skills. Some of them are fast paced, but simple. Some of them are slow paced, but complex. You know, and I know that they'll ask, well, how long do I have a trainer for? And I'll say, well, it'll depend on how you do. You know, I say some people, four hours on the job, they know exactly what they're doing. Other people, it takes a week and a half. You know, it all depends. I tell them, I'm, I'm one of those people, it takes a week and a half, you know? Yeah. I takes I'm a slow learner, but once I have something, I have it right. And I've talked to you about this before. You know, some when I'm reading a textbook for school, right? Sometimes it'll take me, you know, half an hour to get through a page and a half. Sure. I'll reread sentences over and over and over again, but I'm grasping the concept. Right, you're once piecing it together. Right, you are overlapping it. You are going through the process of repeating. But not just repeating. Of rest- this is learning theory, partly of restating. You, you stop. You define a word. You look it up. What's that word? Okay, now we've stopped. First, you read the whole thing. Some of it lingers. Then you go back and well, I have a question about this word. I have a question about well, what does this have to do with this and so on. So you, uh, that's the same way I am. It takes a, it's layering. So whenever I had students who would tell me, I've, I've, I'm I'm reading this over and over. And, Good. Yeah. <laughs> That's what reading is. Right. Very seldom do we do a read thing a one time. We got everything that we need, unless it's a, a command that we're receiving in some kind of hierarchical structure, or or, or it's a, a phone number that somebody's we need vitally to call because there's a hospital event or something. When there's when there's the adrenal assist with keeping something in memory, at least in short term. We can pick short things, small things up that way. Now, yes, people with complete memory ability can pick everything up. But for most of us, it is a process of approach, then approach again, then repeat, recite, rethink, reflect, and build. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, and, you know, there's different types of intelligence, and people have different skills in different ways. So, you know, it's not to say that somebody can't speed read a textbook chapter and understand it and be able to do it. You know, if if they can pick up on contextual clues and they have a familiarity with the topic and that sort of thing, I'm just not that person, but there are people out there that can do it. There are. And the same thing with, um, you know, audio or, you know, experiential or music or any of these different types of things. Everybody has different types of skills and some people can, can learn and pick things up in a new way, but in formal learning, um, some people tend to get a, a stigma because they don't learn things the way that they quote should, you know, um, that's, that's an issue. Um, but it does come back to awareness and consciousness and all of these things. Um, let's ask the question, can a person be conscious without being aware or aware without being conscious? And we covered the first one, right? You can, mm-hmm. you can be conscious and unaware of some things. Do you think, right. can, can you be conscious and lack awareness completely? I don't think so. I, I, and I'm not a neural specialist, but, or a neurologist or anything of the sort, obviously. So, but I don't think so because awareness implies perceiving. So if I'm, and so there are infinite, I would think, degrees of awareness 
or infinite degrees of consciousness. If I awaken I'm, and I and I hear the furnace running, but I'm just have for a moment not sure what day it is, because a lot of days are alike. Mm-hmm. I might not momentarily be aware of the temporal anchor, <laughs> and yet I know that there are familiar sounds going on. Right. So yeah, we the human sensory system is constantly being bombarded with more information than we can possibly make use of. We filter. Right. So your awareness is filtering out what you're you're perceiving to be most important in that moment, you know. And that can change. Right now, it's you and I having a conversation, but if there's some shadow out of the corner of my eye coming at the window, my brain might say, oh, something's about to break through that window and come at me, you know, and then my attention changes. You yes. know? And that is, that's outside of my control. So I don't think that that falls into the realm of consciousness. I think that this is one of those scenarios where it stops at awareness, right? My, the signal pathway is saying, we don't need to go all the way to the frontal cortex for this. We're saying, oh, nope, something's happening that we need to divert our attention to. Right. So we're back to that flow chart, right? We perceived, we're conscious, and then we were aware, but we didn't get to consciousness. Whereas you and I having a conversation, we go all the way up through the ladder. I'm perceiving the audio waves. I'm awake. I'm aware that we're having a conversation. And then consciously I'm taking those audio waves and saying, okay, well, what do they mean? And formulating a response. So coming back to this, Can a person be conscious without being aware? You know, I guess that, you know, this really is getting into the the realm of biomedical sort of things, right? Anesthesia, right? Well, if we take a look at anesthesia, if you put somebody under, you know, they cease to be conscious. But there's, there's plenty of, anesthesia is a hard thing to get right. You know, it's based on your body weight and all these different types of things. So there's cases of people waking up during while being anesthetized and anesthetized anesthetized there we go so and there's different there's different ways this manifests right some people appear to be unconscious but are aware of what's happening and other people will their eyes will fly open and they will appear to be conscious but they won't remember mm-hmm. any of the things that happen in that latter case would you say that that person is conscious without being aware or are they still not conscious even though the eyes may be open there may be signs of perceptual interaction with the environment yes (laughs) (laughs) i'm thinking of thought experiments that that are that are done that are very familiar but i'm trying to just tack it to the ordinary i i remember coming out of being anesthetized for a surgery long ago and the the nurse was tapping me on the foot and uh, I I didn't know that at first I realized that something was moving on my foot (laughs) and then there was this voice and then the voice began to utter morphemes and (laughs) you know phonemes and morphemes and and they became words perceptible words and 
she was saying, Mr. Gayford, are, are, are you awake? And because I guess I'd been under a little bit longer than they wanted. And, and I said, I'm cognizant. <laughs> well, and, I, and I'm thinking about it now because I still remember that. My wife thought it was a hoot. But I, I had my vocabulary. I could answer the question. But even now, decades later, I still remember the process wherein I was and I was having a dream state. I was moving upward through darkness. Hmm. Uh, there were sounds that became, as I say, started to become fragments of words, became words, became sentence. But it was staged. Yeah. Yeah, and I think everybody has experienced this to some degree. Um, just quick examples. Everybody's been falling asleep while they're watching a movie and somebody says, hey, are you awake? And then you say, yeah, well, what just happened? Then? And then <laughs> you describe what happened, you know, yeah. or you're you're having you're having a dream and then your mind starts incorporating things that are happening in real yeah. life. Yeah. Or, um, you know, unfortunately, the the one that people may be able to rate, relate to the most is um, substance abuse. Anybody who is. Um, been inebriated in some way has experienced that sort of thing where oh you know your friends tell you oh you did this thing right and you were like well i don't remember doing that thing mm -hmm. um but there's plenty of other examples even if you never have been under any influence um yes. one that got to me one time was um they said if you put on these earphones as a speech jammer the 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 government was researching speech jamming right they said well we can get people if we play their voices, what they're saying back to them, this certain number of milliseconds delayed, then your mind can't form words. <laughs> and I said, I've got to try this, right? <laughs> so I threw on the headphones and I started speaking into the microphone and the speech jammer started going. Sure enough, I couldn't get two words out. I was like, uh, uh, all of a sudden I lost the ability to speak because mm -hmm. the information that was coming in and the information that was going out were conflicting and canceling out interesting and it was like yeah it was a wild thing right so these this process that we take for granted of being you know having senses being awake you know being able to focus our attention and then being able to make sense of our environment it's kind of a fragile thing you it know is. and um and There's, it's not static. Yeah. It's not fragile in the sense of a, a glass that's very that's ready to fall down and break. And the break has happened. It's it's some things are fragile and some aren't. I mean, would, it, the thing you just described, was there consciousness? Yeah. Uh, you and you were very, very actively aware of what you were doing to yourself in right. that experiment. So I think there's a through line in much of what we talk about, and, and, and I think it's worth dwelling on that for a moment, which is that if one philosophically approaches things, one is doing so with some degree of humility. To, to say, yeah, I bumped my head because I didn't pay attention that there was this window open, uh, and somebody else could say, well, there, there's somebody who doesn't know anything he's book learned but he doesn't pay attention to the world well that's nonsense <laughs> you know it, it, happens it, to everybody. it happens to everybody and to say well okay why did that happen because i wasn't being uniformly aware of everything i can't be i was making choices 
it turns out that it, it had a bit of a bad effect. <laughs> but but that means, okay, rem- so you say to yourself, I'm going to pay attention to what's in that refrigerator next time. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm going to look at where I put the salad dressing. I, I just stuff it in. Well, why why don't I pay attention to what I'm doing there? Right. Uh, yeah, and, and the, uh, the individuality of it, right? I remember, so yeah, I'm, I'm very good with spatial awareness to the point where one time I, I tripped on the carpet and I was 19 and my brother who was playing a video game in the chair next to me paused the game and looked over at me and he said, did you just trip? And I said, yeah. He said, I've never seen you trip before. <laughs> Lived together our whole lives. He had never seen me be clumsy. And I rarely ever am. You don't see me fall down or do anything like that. But yeah, but if I try to find something in the refrigerator, it's like, you know, it's, it might as well be under a cloaking device. You know, it's not there. So, you know, what what's going on inside the brain that is is, you know, able to to do these different things and struggle with other things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no point in in being braggadocious about something because everybody's going to have their struggles or have the things that they aren't so good Most at. Most you know? certainly. And it's not going to be, like you said, it's not going to be static across time. I still trip. You know? yeah, <laughs> it still right. happens. You know? And you're but, still human. Right. right. <laughs> so, yeah, this idea of, of awareness and is, is very complex. So, talking about again, can a person be conscious without being aware? Um, it's pretty obvious that you almost always are being conscious without being aware of certain things. Uh-huh. Now, can you be conscious with a total lack of awareness? That's kind of a... Well, that's, that depends on the... Uh, you know, it just occurred to me when you're saying that, that if we move out of the physical discussion into the socio-political or into the the more internal idea-based? Sometimes, yes. I mean, you, you, you can be conscious that you're moving among your fellow citizens in a, in a place that's a construct, that's a political construct, and so on and so forth. And yet, you may not be aware of things that are going on around you, even though you live there every day. I think conversely, you might be aware of things that are going around you, but you don't consciously put together what's really going on. Right. Yeah, I like the, um, and definitely on a, a socio-political or socio-cultural level, it's pretty obvious that those things can happen. Yeah. Um, and a real obvious example, right? Like, what do I know about the culture of Malaysia, right? I have no awareness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm conscious. That there is know, a Malaysia. That there is a Malaysia and they have culture. I don't know anything about their culture. I have no awareness of right. it, right? right. Um, and you could gain that if right. you had the motivation or you whatever right. to, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. On a, on a physical level, you know, I think that, that, that anesthesia example is, is probably the closest that you get to thinking, okay, well, somebody could be conscious, but yet not be aware of what's going on there around them or the other way around. They might be unconscious, um, but then 
they may wake up and say, I, I remember hearing somebody say something or I remember something yes. going on. Yeah. Dream states as well are, are kind of similar, right? You can, you can be dreaming and be actively integrating things that are really happening in the outside world into your dream. You know, everybody knows, you know, you're having a dream where you're walking down the street and all of a sudden there's a fire siren going off and then you realize, oh, that's my alarm clock, you know? Yes. So yes. yeah, that overlap is, is pretty wild. And um, there's been, this is a topic of scientific inquiry as well. Um, I sent you a, an article on um, the AIC, which is scientists saying that they've, they found the gateway to, to consciousness, right? And that's kind of where, when you and I were talking during the week, I was saying, well, what, what, what do you think that means? If, you, if they find this, this small section of the brain that they're saying is responsible for consciousness, what if you put a needle in there and then anesthetize just that one piece of your brain? What what would happen to the human being, right? What? How would you would you just fall asleep? Would you? What would happen to this to this theoretical person? Or if you you know removed that section of their brain, this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, one of my favorite books is was is uh, Julian Jaynes, right? Um, the you know the bicameral mind yep. and his theory of early humans and how you know the uh this ability to consciously um integrate information didn't exist in early humans but yet all of our other physical and and mental faculties did exist and so what would that look like and he talks about you know humans just sort of having no perception of time there's no not being a past or present or a past or a future but just the current moment and you know all of these different things and how it would how it would play together, and you know whether or not you um, buy into the scientific validity of it as a philosophical um, thought study. It's it's very um, very interesting. Very interesting. Absolutely. So, with all of what we've talked about so far, um, would you say self awareness is what makes us human? I'm setting you up here. You ask. I know. I know. Here it comes. I never was good at volleyball, <laughs> but I'm playing because I love to play with, with these things. <laughs> self-awareness. What makes us human? Self-awareness is part of <laughs> what makes us human. What we do with that self-awareness, I think, def- offers a. A sheath, of a package, a definition of what we make of our humanity. Hmm. So I think it's a two-parter. How's that for wiggling out? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when I was thinking about this, right, to me, my initial gut reaction was, yeah, yeah, that's it, right? You know, if you look at, you know, what the rest of the world, I think that our ability to have metacognition or to self-reflect that sort of thing is is what makes us human. But then I started digging a little deeper and kind of confronting some of that. And um, the fur to me, the biggest thing would be this, right? Cases of hydroencephaly, which is infants who are born without a, a cerebral cortex. Essentially, all they have is brainstem, and most of these infants die within the first year of life. 
but not always. And in one case, one of these people lived to be 19 years old, right? If we were to say that this sort of self-awareness or subconsciousness is what made us human, then technically those people are not humans. And we, and and yes, we can't and we, say that. Well, no, and we wouldn't go there, and we both reject that. And so then we have to say, so what do we mean by human? <clears throat> so well, self-awareness can't be the, right. prime, the, the exclusive definition of humanity. And so this is where... It gets very interesting philosophically, right? So now I'm I'm starting into the rabbit hole, right? So I'm <laughs> digging deeper and deeper and thinking more to myself, well, man, okay, well, what are we looking at? And this is where it gets pretty crazy, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you look at mammals, right, and how their brains work, basically your brainstem generates your emotions, your ability to react to your surroundings, to guide your behavior towards, you know, eating and, and mating and these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And you can generally refer to that as being self-aware. You are aware that you're hungry. You're aware that you want to go here or there or the other things. So a person with hydroencephaly has these abilities because they have the brainstem. Mm -hmm. But so does a fox yes. or another thing. Yeah. So, so it's not just humans right so now we're looking at okay well where how would we how would we define humanity with these two examples right where where are we finding this line and this is this is the important part of practicing philosophy but it's where it gets very difficult because what you realize is that all of our concepts are analog and but the way the human mind works is to try to make them digital. Right? Mm. <laughs> you have this one unbroken thing. What you're trying to say is, no, there must be individual parts and there must be a line where we separate them. right? And you, you have one concept on one side and another concept on another side. In light of those two examples that I gave, our hydroencephaly and our animal consciousness, yeah. where do we find what a human is? Well, I, what, a, what a person is, I guess, would be a what better a, what a way person, of saying what a person uh, is. Yeah. First, I'm going to I'm going to say this: we we uh, are as a collective set of beings, a species. I think we are heavy-handedly over-focused on trying to define ourselves against other things, to to because somehow. We have to keep convincing ourselves, A, that we're better than the other things around us, or B, that we're better than the other things around <laughs> us, or, or, or C, that the other things around us were the end point of those other things. And as I grow older, that annoys me more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, which is not to say that we don't have discussions of being human because that's every piece of art is about. You released a song this week. It's, it's an element of, of describing what it's like to be a human in a certain situation, a fictionalized situation, but it, it, it explores consciousness, what's going on inside the mind, what's going on outside the mind. But we seem to have this this need somehow to say, see, we do this, but nothing else can. And we don't know that. Well, I go back to what we talked about a week or two ago with the, it was two weeks ago, I guess, with the, 
the whale, the the <laughs> the humpback whales in the Pacific, developing a new song every year. Now, you you can explore that. It's it's just as fascinating to me as it was two weeks ago. Probably will be for a lifetime. We we, we might say, oh well, they're closer to humanity. What's with this Anthropocene? This this mm-hmm. everything has to be defined by us. There there's an arrogance in this. Yeah, absolutely. Humanity is at the at the uh, the pinnacle of the pyramid, and we define things as being closer to us or farther away and a big one is um talking about the environment right people say we're destroying our world well no until our world is engulfed by the sun it's not destroyed right we're just modifying it yeah right we're we're destroying our capacity to live in this world that the world is going to go on yeah the earth doesn't care if we're here (laughs) you know (laughs) it has you know yeah so yeah and so when we're talking about these things right we do that is what we're doing is we're we're trying to say okay well what Okay, human is the wrong term. Person is the better term, right? What makes somebody a person? And we have this innate opposition to um, applying personhood to animals, right? Mm-hmm. But there, there are some philosophers who do apply personhood to animals, but more, but but overall, yeah, yeah. And we'll we'll get into that in a little bit. But I guess with what we've talked about so far, what does it take? To be a person. Well, the humanities, <laughs> which are often shunted away into quarters these days, ask those questions all the time without any permanent or, uh, or absolute answer. To be human is to, as you say, be aware. But being aware can be many things. To be human is to be conscious of one's actions but there are people who are conscious of their actions but they lack moral codes of some kind there are things that we structures that we label as moral codes they are amoral and so they're aware of what they do but they don't see anything wrong with it as long as them then there are those who say well those are animals those people are animals well you know, that's easy, but you know, the trouble is, so are we. And this is where we we do not pay enough attention to words. Human beings are animals. The human animal. So, okay, so it's not all the other animals, it's the human animal. All right, so what does it, is it that we create things? Is it that we think thoughts sometimes? <laughs> or is it just that we have the power of technology that we've created that lets us dominate everything else? You know, I, I don't have absolute answers to this. I think the, the, the ability to create, the, the ability to think, the ability to experience, the ability to self-reflect are all part of this huge cluster of characteristics that we give to being human. But I don't think that, that lacking one of those or two or whatever you know it's it's still human if we if we if we define ourselves as well we're creatures that have two legs and two arms well anybody who doesn't have an arm is that mean they're not human of course not (laughs) it's it's it's, we 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 
this is where you get into the realm of the ideal. Mm. The ideal human doesn't exist. Uh, the idealism, in, in back to Plato, is about a realm that we can't access except through our thoughts. There's the ideal tree, there's the ideal human, and so on. And the iterations that we find in, in the material world are less than that ideal. Hmm. Yeah, so that's that's actually a pretty good segue to uh, to the next thing I was going to talk about is you know, so we we just had a brief detour on on personhood and we didn't at all address it or solve it and it might be <laughs> it might be a topic for another episode, um, but coming back to awareness, um, we'll ask: Is all life aware? If something is living, is it aware? I'm, I'm, I'm going to a thing that I find really fascinating called pan-spiritism. It's not the same thing as pan-psychism. Pan-spiritism is, uh, is often written about now by a, a very fascinating psychologist uh, from England named Steve Taylor. I've started to read some of his things, but it, it's it's not a brand new concept, but it's it's newer than some. And it's the idea that consciousness, not God, not uh, anything that we formalize as a religion, but consciousness existed before any material thing in the universe, and that consciousness leads to the iteration of material things. Now, I know I'm taking a long way around this. You need to remind me of the question. <laughs> it was, is all life aware? All right. And pan-spiritism says that all things have elements of consciousness, which does not mean that they are all aware or that they are all able to act on. So a rock may have some vestigial bits of consciousness, but such a small amount that we wouldn't be able to interact. Right? I'm, it, it's a fascinating and, and, and extensive uh, set of ideas, but it's essentially, I mean, there'll be some people saying, well, yeah, that's God. Okay, I understand why you'd say that, but you need to read more about it, and you'd see that it's, that's not what, what's really being talked about here. Or somebody else like uh, of our ilk might say, Hey, it's the Force. Right. <laughs> <laughs> We're back to Star Wars. Well, yes, in the sense of, of I think, what Lucas was thinking that he was trying to do. So, so all things might have an element or piece, bits and pieces of consciousness, but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily aware or fully aware. What would the world be like if we actually treated things as if they had consciousness? Now we're getting back to aboriginal viewpoints. But but also to the pre-Socratics. Uh, uh, Anaximander had this notion that he called the Apiron. And the Apiron was this inchoate thing that out, out of which the world appears <laughs> and the thing, things materially appear. So we're going back to pre-Socratic philosophy in some ways. Um, Pan-spiritualism is a kind of pan-religiosity, but it's not looking for 
something to pray to, to make things right or to guide one's life, but rather the human element is in trying to, to whatever degree one can, to take charge of one's own life, which doesn't mean you're separate from everybody else, but it's just, you know, it's how do you interact with things if you think there might be an element in those things that's just like you? Hmm. I know I seem to be wandering, but I, I just, I'm, this, this blows my mind. So we already know, I mean, we should do this anyway. We are all, Carl Sagan said it, we are all made of the stuff of stars. We all have the same basic elements. We also know that we have essentially the same <laughs> material makeup, uh, 99.98 whatever percent as other species. And yet we are determined. <laughs> <laughs> to say no we're not those things <laughs> right yeah and so it might sound real uh you know real like new agey or kind of spooky right but this isn't just like armchair philosophy either like there's there's some science that's starting to look at this sort yes, of thing. There, the, the living there. systems view um is this idea that cognition is present in, in all different forms of life yeah. um and really i think if we're going to answer the question, um, is all life aware, we're coming back to the beginning of the episode where we were trying to discern between perception and awareness, right? So perception, the ability to, you know, in to be a <laughs> now language, <is> a <laughs> the ability to perceive what's happening in the outside world is one thing, but I think awareness is kind of the ability to adjust to that perception right and what we find is that that's we we think of that as a complex thing all right you know so you know a tree it can perceive sunlight and have brand but the branches grow in that direction you know right so mm -hmm. is it is it aware you know and we found that very simple forms of life tend to show some kind of awareness right like fungi Mm -hmm. They did a study of, of, you know, fungus in, in the forest. And basically what they found is like, okay, there's a whole fungal network that grows under the forest floor yes. and it transports nutrients from certain trees will say, send out a signal saying, Hey, I'm dying here, take my nutrients. And the fungus will take them and transfer them to other plants and do these sort of things. Yes. So there's this whole network and there's a communication, there's, there's perception, there's an awareness of a situation enough to make an adjustment. And that all seems pretty complex. So asking the question, is all life aware? Um, that answer isn't going to be a, a hard no. It's going to be very hard to say, no, no, no yeah, you know, surely a fungus is not aware. Correct. No, it, well, it may it's, be. It's um, a hard no. <laughs> and then... It's not a hard no. It's not, it's, it, it, we can't say that for certain. Right. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, you know, and this is even more interesting with when you have news like you did this week where, well, we might have discovered some fungus living on Mars, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. all of these different things, um, you know, how they how they interact is 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 pretty wild. Um See for me it's why. Why do we want to to determine this? I'm fascinated by what drives us to want to know whether other things are not not just you know, not you and me just doing this talk, but but 
human beings. Why do we want to know? Yes, yeah. and you know, um, and the other the other scientific one I was going to mention is um, the the most recent um, sort of theory of the universe is that the universe is a um, self learning system mm-hmm. that is building itself consciously. Yes. Right. Yes. So again, we're we're in the realm of science. Um and and philosophy necessarily we're at the point where they meet um but i think yeah why would we ask these questions if if life is aware i think that there's different motivations for it um but i think again it's it's anthropocentric right (laughs) it can be i I think it is partly anthropocentric yes but i also think that perhaps at our best we ask so that we become necessarily forcing ourselves, ourselves, to be more aware of the complexity of things around us, reminding ourselves that we don't know everything there is to know, and therefore maybe we ought to step a little more lightly with thought and care mm-hmm. <laughs> than just to assume that this world is here for us to abuse in any way that we want. Right. Uh, so I think there is a use to it. I was trying to get us there. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think that, I think that the mode, the two primary motivations would revolve around that, right? I think that there's the people that, that want to see, that would ask the question in order to sort of place humanity on a different apex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At the apex. Yeah. And then there's the other people that ask this question to try to determine how we are integrated into the universe as a, as a system, you know? Mm-hmm. And so again, two wildly different motivations, but they're, they're, they're centered around that idea of all we know is our own experience. Mm-hmm. All we can, you know, we've talked about knowledge, right? And how it's almost impossible to know anything, but the closest thing that we can come to knowing is our own subjective experience. Yeah. So trying to say, trying to determine what else that I'm perceiving, what is that thing's experience like, right? And because that's, that's the only way that we can sort of think of. And scientifically, we are sense. getting there from, from, the, from the senses viewpoint. We, there are, we, you can go to well-based YouTube videos, science-anchored, uh, about how other animals see what they see we can replicate that now because we could we understand the mechanism of the eye yeah yeah amanda and i just watched one last week actually um and the guy they had simulations during it showing okay here's how a cat sees here's how a dog sees which is what most people think about because those are our pets but then you see things like how does an insect see or the the coolest one is how does a mantis shrimp see ever get a chance look that up how does a mantis shrimp see because you have these (laughs) compound eyes on the top but then you have these very high definition eyes in the middle Mm -hmm. and the simulations are are wild but again you know they asked the guy it was this whole episode i can't remember what streaming network it was on but it was a guy who a scientist whose expertise was in eyes i you know eyeballs and he studied mantis shrimp specifically and uh you know he said, you know, the, the difficulty in saying this is how they see is that perceiving is only one part of seeing. Mm-hmm. He said, so humans, human eyes 
are pretty down the middle. You know, you're not, you don't have great acuity, but you don't have terrible. You don't have great color, but you don't have terrible. You don't have great, you know, field of view, but it, it, you know, it's right down the middle. We said what we're able to do with that information in our brains is much more complex than what anybody else can do. So he said, yeah, sure. You know, you might have a peregrine falcon and the, the visual acuity is incredible. Or you might have a mantis shrimp that has eight different types of color cones and can see colors in ultraviolet and stuff. But what these animals with their smaller brains are able to do with that information might not match up with what we're simulating because you're taking that information and you're doing something different in your brain than what they're doing in their brains. And that blew my mind, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Also, and that's what we've highlighted in this episode is you have perception, but how perception relates to awareness and consciousness is something that we can really only understand in our specific subjective experience. You can't look at me fumble around in the refrigerator and understand why I can't find the mustard. <laughs> right? You can't do it. I'll, only I can understand or only I can, you know, be aware of having that specific problem. Yes. Um and it's just a, an incredible conversation that I'm sure we'll continue in, in future episodes. So until next time, keep on. Here.